Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. Pastor Paul begins a new series today, uh, Asking for a Friend, Big Questions That Need Answers. And the big question today is, does God exist? Let's listen in as Pastor Paul preaches from John chapter 1. The, the day of Epiphany is 12 days after Christmas. It's the day that we mark on our calendars to, to remember the visit of the wise men to the baby Jesus, them bringing their three gifts to, to the baby Jesus. It's an important day in the church calendar because it's a reminder that even from the very beginning, Jesus was on earth to call not just the nation of Israel, not just the people known as the Jews, but you and me, Gentiles, people, people who have no, no part in the, the beginnings of the story, people who can't trace our roots back to, to Abraham. God has, has sent Jesus into the world to, to call us, even. And so this is like kind of a cool, a cool holiday to remember that, that Jesus, and, and the wise men are these guys that like so clearly recognize who Jesus is by giving him gifts that point to his, his royalty and to his priestly, uh, being a priest and, and to his, uh, the fact that he's going to suffer and die. They, they get it, better than any of the people that think they have a right to a messiah and and it's an amazing story so i uh joyous epiphany and uh, i'm i'm preaching a sermon today i've been i've been advertising that i'm going to be talking about some important questions that that deserve answers and these are questions that maybe we ask for a friend sometimes and and so over the next several weeks i'll be talking about Questions like today, I'm going to address the question, does God really exist? Does God exist? Uh, next week, I'm going to be talking, asking the question, does God love me? Does God love you? Uh, and, and we'll be addressing some questions along those lines over the next several, several weeks. As I, as I start this sermon series, I'm really trying to just ask the right questions. I, I think very often, I give lots of answers, I give lots of answers. I've got lots of answers. But I think there's real power in asking the right questions and in answering the right questions. And so I, I hope that in looking at some questions that are like maybe a little, bit, a little bit assumed sometimes in the church, a little bit behind, behind what we're doing, maybe we get to the root of what it is to be a part of a body like this. Maybe we get to the root of what it is to, to believe in, in the faith of, that we call Christianity. And, and so maybe you're thinking like, well, if you want to ask the right questions, why are you asking these questions? Like, don't, here we are at church on Sunday morning, don't we all agree? Pastor Paul, don't we all agree that, of course, God exists and God loves me? And don't we all agree that my life matters? Like, the decisions I make, these, these things matter? Like, why would we need to even ask those questions? And, and I, I would say, uh, maybe you're right, maybe we all agree, but I would also say that on any given Sunday, uh, there are probably people in our midst who are, who are asking these questions, who are wondering, does, does God really, really like this God thing, this, this spiritual life, like, really? Or, or could God really love me, like, me, Really? And, and I, I, would, I would say that um, statistics show that even people who, who maybe have faith 
in a moment, statistics show that faith ebbs and flows. And, and that people go through seasons of, of really believing their beliefs, of really, of really believing and having a, an ardent, serious faith in, in the Lord, and then going through a period of, of walking away from, from belief, walking away from, deciding that they no longer, they no long, the reasons that they believed before don't, don't really work anymore, and they no longer believe, and, and people walk away from, from faith in God, and people walk away from, from the church, and those aren't always the same thing, I realize, but, but sometimes we, we just need to be making sure we're asking the right questions, I, I do have this belief that, that our faith can ebb and flow. I, I have personally experienced it. I, I've personally gone through moments when I just, I have no, no doubt where I am just unshakably confident in God's work in me and God's work around me. Like I've had those, those times in life, but I've had seasons when I, when I really, really wonder, when I really, really question and, and I have serious, serious doubts about, about my own belief, my own faith. And so I think these questions, these are, these are helpful questions for everybody to, to consider. And so today I want to look at some of the good reasons I think exist for believing in the God of the Bible. Uh, this is the God the Bible talks about as creator. This is the God who spoke to uh, his people in the nation of Israel. He called, he called this nation and then the, the God of the Bible is most clearly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible kind of just assumes that God exists. Like, there, there are no authors in any of the biblical books, and I'd be happy to have this conversation. Like, maybe you can think of an, a counterexample to this, but I, I can't think of anywhere in the Bible where any of the authors of the biblical books try to make an argument for the existence of God. The, the authors of the Bible, they just sort of assume that God exists. They, they talk about matters of faith and, and spiritual life. God exists. It's, it's obvious to them. But the closest we get to any biblical author trying to make a case for the existence of God comes from, comes from the Gospels, the books about Jesus in the Bible. Uh, they try to make a clear connection between Jesus uh, this this person who has come to earth, who has been born in a stable, the birth story we just celebrated at Christmas, they try to make a clear connection between Jesus and the God of the Old Testament, the God who is creator, the God who, who has, has called this people. And the Gospel of John is kind of the most transparent about doing this. In fact, the Gospel of John begins with this incredible statement hearkening back to Genesis 1, trying to make a connection between Jesus and the God of the Old Testament. And so I'm going to read for us John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And this is what the, the Gospel of John says. It's how it begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought life to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. This statement that begins the Gospel of John, it is foundational to what John is trying to do through the rest of the Gospel. Through the rest of John's book, 
he is trying to make a clear connection that Jesus is none other than the God of the Old Testament in the flesh, walking around. And so Jesus, through the Gospel of John, he teaches his followers that to know Jesus is to know God who created everything. And, and we as Christians, we continue to believe that. We continue to teach that, that if we know Jesus, we know God. And, and I think, uh, so I, I, I think there is good reason to believe the truth about, or what Jesus says is the truth about him. I think there's good reason to believe that God exists. I think there's good reason to believe in the God that Jesus was trying to point to, in the, in the God that the Gospel of John is trying to tell us this living person, Jesus, is a physical representation of. And, and you're probably saying, well, of course you do. You're a pastor, right? Like, I'm, of course, of course, you're a pastor. You believe that, that God exists. But let me get to the crux of what I just said. I believe there is good reason to believe that God exists. You might expect that I believe just because I believe, right? I mean, there are, there are certain facts that we know are true just because they're true. We know that two plus two equals four. It's just true. You don't have to, you don't have to like argue about that. If you have to argue with somebody about that, they're not worth arguing with, right? We know that apples are fruit. It's every apple you see, it's a piece of fruit. It's true. It doesn't, I mean, you can argue. Again, we could, like, everybody in our world wants to argue about everything, right? You can argue, but it's, it's just true. Many people think that Christians, believers in God, believe that God exists just like we believe that two plus two equals four. Many people think that Christians and, and people of faith, we, we believe in God just the same way that we believe every apple is a fruit. Like, we just believe it because it's true. And, and if, you, if you talk to us about it, we're going to say, well, of course we believe it because it's true. For, uh, but I, I think, well, so some people think that we just don't, we don't try to look at any evidence to the contrary. We don't try to, to examine facts and try to, try to understand, is this, is this really true, or do I just want this to be true? And some people think that, that believers and people of faith, we, we have faith in God because, because for some reason, like, we need faith in God. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a mental or emotional crutch for us to, to get through life. Like, we just need, we need the existence of a higher power in order to sort of manage, manage our lives. And that's why I want to be clear. I believe there is good reason for believing that God exists. I'm not just saying I believe God exists because I'm a pastor and like my life kind of depends, like the decisions I've made up to this point sort of depend on there being a God uh, that exists. I'll be honest, if I didn't believe that God exists, if I didn't believe there was good reason for God to believe in God, like I wouldn't be doing this. Like I, there are plenty of other things I could do for, for a living. Uh, but I think there's good reason. I, I, I think that there are good, good reasons. Actually, I, I believe there are a lot of good reasons for believing that God exists. And so this morning, my plan is to just go through kind of a list of reasons. I think, I think it's totally uh, acceptable to believe that God exists. I think that these, these reasons point to God, there being a God rather than there not being a God. And, and so I know I'm speaking to church people this morning. I know most of you are probably like, well, why do we need to do this? Like, I believe in God. 
big deal. Good job, Pastor Paul. Like, you've convinced a bunch of people who are already convinced. But, but I know that there are probably people here who have gone through seasons of doubt, and maybe you're in a season of doubt right now. I know that there are probably people here who are, who are just kind of on the fence and wondering and, and curious. Like, really? 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 And, and so my hope this morning is that maybe, maybe by just kind of going through a few of the reasons I think are good reasons for believing in the existence of God, that maybe you would just doubt your doubts a little more and that you would begin to, to believe a little bit more that maybe it's possible that God could exist. And so the first compelling reason I see for believing that God exists is that you exist. Uh, actually, that anything exists, that there is a physical and natural world that we, we live in. Um, maybe it's just dumb luck that anything exists instead of nothing, but uh, I, I think it's hard to imagine that anything would exist without, and, and anything that has the order that the natural and physical world has uh, without <clears throat> a creator, without something outside of it to have initiated it, to have given it, given it existence. There's a pastor and a philosopher in the 1800s, uh, or 18th century, named William Paley, and he, he, gave, he makes the famous argument of the, of the watchmaker. The, Paley says, imagine that you're out walking through the forest, and it seems like nobody really is around, like you're, you're in a forest, right? It's a, a natural setting, and you come upon a watch, and, and you find this watch, and you see that like, it, is, it is very intricately made, and you start like looking into it, you see that you know, the hands are moving, it's obviously got this purpose behind it, it's, it's very, it was created purposefully, and then you, you look into the works of it, and you see how intricately fitted together, how just like perfectly made the different little cogs are, and all the sprockets, and and the springs, and man, this is like very obviously, very obviously the creation of somebody who was really smart, right? Like, I couldn't just make a watch out of nothing. And, and so, finding a watch in, in that setting, and just like walking around the physical world and finding a watch would, would lead us to, it would lead a reasonable person to believe that somewhere there is a watchmaker who has made this watch, this physical item. Well, Paley then asks us, to, to consider your own hand. Consider, consider your, own, your own hand. Think about how the parts of your hand are fitted together. Think about, think about the, the incredible mechanics of it and, and how it is made. How, how you can use your hand to lift heavy objects. But you're, you also have the sensitivity in your fingers to know if you're turning one page or two in a book. Think about the energy system behind your hand, the, the way that you ingest foods and it gives you energy to move your hand. Uh, this, this incredible machine that your, your body has taken in nutrients to create skin and muscle and tendon and bone and fingernails and, and all of this, it just seems very intricate. In, in fact, when, when compared to a watch, it, it seems like it's an order above the creativity of a watch. It's a, it's, if, you, if, you have, if a reasonable person is going to say, a watch indicates that it, somebody has made this, 
it, it seems like the same reasonable person would look at your hand and say, this, this did not just happen by chance. This is different from, from the rest of creation in, an, in a miraculous way. And, and so uh, there, the, the, the human physical existence this points to the idea that maybe there is some intelligence behind creation. And the systems of this world that are so intricately interwoven and put together so perfectly in such a delicate balance, it, it indicates that, that maybe there is an intelligence behind it. But it's more than just the created order of the natural world uh, and the universe that that points to a creator, but there's also the beauty of creation. I am, I am so astounded by the just gratuitous, superfluous, like not completely necessary uh, beauty of creation. When I, when I go into the natural world, when I go into the mountains and like my breath is just taken away by the beauty, like even, even, here in this valley, we live in a beautiful part of the world. It is incredible. And I, I think about like flowers, like flowers, flowers are beautiful on purpose, right? Like flowers are, are colorful to attract pollinators. They don't have to be. Like bugs are also attracted to cow pies, right? Like it, it doesn't have to be that that the thing that would attract pollinators and, and keep their existence going would necessarily be beautiful. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, but it is. And when I consider the beauty of, of our world, like the sunsets and sunrises that we have in, in our world, and in this valley recently, like what, I think it was the week before Christmas, there were some sunrises where like the whole valley filled with orange light. And uh, it, it was incredible. It was incredible. I'm really astounded by the beauty of, of the cosmos, of like the stars and, and the planets. Like consider, consider how needlessly beautiful these things are that like the Hubble telescope over the last few decades have revealed to us things that aren't visible with the human eye right? Not visible with the naked eye. But because we have created this technology over the last few decades, we've found these things that have always existed, and they're incredibly beautiful with nobody to observe them. It makes me think that maybe, it to me is evidence of, of a creator who, who enjoys making beautiful things. He doesn't necessarily even need credit for it, Right? that it would be hidden from, from human sight until the last few decades? Isn't that, in, I, it's incredible to me. It's hard, it's hard for me to imagine that it could be without, without a creator. And then when I, when I think about food, like food is delicious. I love, I like food too much. And, and food is, is very utilitarian or can be very utilitarian. Uh, but, but I think that the, the evidence that food has been created for the pleasure of those who eat it is, again, maybe, maybe evidence of a creator behind it. 
Like, we could survive without taste buds, right? We could survive. And there's some argument to be made that taste buds help us survive because, like, you know, yucky things are often bad for us. And, and there's some argument for that. But, like, why did we need to develop the taste buds that also taste the good things? And, and why do we find pleasure in, in even the textures of, of food and drinks? It's hard for me to imagine that the physical world could exist in the way it does with, with the incredible order and delicacy all on its own, without the hand of, of some creator guiding it. To consider the number of miraculous happenings that would have to, would have to take place in a, in a chain of events that isn't guided by God, if, if chance and time brought all of this into being, to me, that position would take a bigger step of faith than, than for me to believe in a God that, that was behind it. And so we have uh, these, these questions of the simple existence of the physical world. The simple existence of the physical world, I think, points very clearly to, to a God. But then we have the phenomenon of human existence. The reality that we experience consciousness. Um, we think... <laughs> we think, and we have thoughts about our thoughts, right? That's, that is remarkable to consider that we have thoughts about our thoughts. For the sake of, of argument, like if, if we consider that, that chance and time and the elements on, that, that existed before created life, like, and, we, and we, we think about like life coming together, you know, like a, perf a, a pond, with elements in it uh, and all of, like, the minerals, all of the things, a perfect pH balance to create, like, single-cell life. Like, just, just that, I think, would be miraculous. I think that that's, like, a huge, a huge leap to think that just the elements existing and being close together could create life. But just assume that, that single-cell life gets created somehow. What a giant, a giant movement it is from that to you who have thoughts about your thoughts. Like even, even like the physical, like advanced physical beings in our world, like, like my puppy. My puppy is the smartest puppy in the whole wide world. He is wonderful. Uh, he gets it, right? But he doesn't have thoughts about his thoughts. He isn't, he isn't conscious in the way that you and I are. He doesn't, he knows he wants to like please please Alyssa particularly, um, but he, you know, he's not having thoughts about whether that was good or evil. And the, and the way that you think in comparison to anything else in creation, as Christians, we say, well, this is because God has created us in God's image. Um, it's, a, it's a big movement even if the physical world were put together in, in the way it is, it's a big movement to get from a physical world put to, together the way it is to, to you having thoughts about your thoughts. And, and it's a remarkable, a mer remarkable thing. Add to that the phenomenon uh, of, of being conscious. There is this reality that there is a, a moral order that is almost universally accepted by humanity. Like in every expression of humanity throughout the world, like tribes and, and you know, groups that have, have been, come together over, over history and, and 
you know, there's still tribes that like don't have contact with the outside world in, in parts of, of the world. In, in basically every culture that is known to man, there's the value of truth and the value of beauty and the value of love. The, these things are, are universally accepted as good uh, in, in basically every expression of the human experience. That's, that points to me to, to something that has wired humanity. And then, and then not just the universality of, of truth, beauty, and love, but the, the, the fact that expressions of altruism have, have been seen as like the most, the highest order of morality. Altruism is, is doing something good for another person at, at our own personal expense. So when we give gifts, it's, it's altruistic. When, when we care for the weak, it is, it is altruism. When we give anything at great cost to ourselves for the benefit of another person, it is altruistic. Throughout history, that has been seen, altruism has been seen as like the highest order of moral good. And again, it, it points to me to, to the idea that there is, there is something that has wired humanity to be like this. That it isn't just our, our genes that want to, to continue to replicate that's driving us, but maybe it's, it's that we were wired in a certain way. All of these evidences that are just sort of innate in creation remind me of a verse from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything uh, God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. The Bible tells us the world was created in such a way that we would be able to find God because of the way the world is created. And uh, these are sort of just the physical elements of uh, the, the physical reasons I think we have to, to think that maybe God exists. All right, I've been talking for a long time and... Uh, I have some more reasons I want to talk about, but maybe I'll give you guys just a minute uh, to talk. Is that okay? Would you like to talk? You would like to talk. Abby, you want to talk. Uh, why don't I give you just a minute? Um, respond to, to the person sitting next to you. If you see somebody that doesn't have somebody with them, make sure you grab them and, and uh, get in a conversation with them. Make sure that everybody around you has somebody to talk to. Um, but just respond to these physical reasons that I've given to, for believing that God exists. I, and and I, I don't have a question for you necessarily, but maybe talk about, is one of them pretty compelling to you? Does one seem interesting to you? Or, or are they all a bunch of bunk and I'm just like, I'm stacking the deck in the way that I want to stack the deck and, and I haven't really seriously considered the issues? Um, how, how do you respond to this idea of God revealing, revealing himself through creation. So I'll give you just like a minute. Okay, go. Talk about it.
All right, after, after the service, you can ask me for your neighbor why, why I've stacked the deck in the way I have and why I've cheated. Um, but I'll be, I'll be curious to hear. I, I uh, heard some clarification on Romans chapter 1, verse 20, and I heard uh, some interesting thoughts about the complexity of, of human life. And so, interesting thoughts. Thank you. As always, I'd, I'd love to get an email from you. I'd love to hear from you uh, anytime that you want to talk more about, about why God exists. But let me give you a few more reasons. I, I have a few more reasons here this morning that I want to talk about. And these, are, these are more along the lines of religious reasons. And I'm gonna, going to get into where sort of my area of expertise is a little bit more. I'm kind of out of my element when talking about just the physical world. I'm, I'm not a scientist I'm barely a theologian, and so it's helpful for me to move into to biblical thoughts a little bit more. The first, the first piece is like the historical evidence that we see from, from uh, interacting, God's interaction with humanity. Like God, God has been involved with people from, from long, long ago. And so in the Bible, we see that through the nation of Israel primarily, and then through Jesus. And, and so... I would say my, maybe one of my strongest arguments for believing in God is that in order to deny the existence of God, you have to deal with the question of the person of Jesus. In order to deny that God exists, in, from my perspective, from my perspective, you have, to, you have to fight and wrestle with who is Jesus and, and what do you do with the like really solid historical evidence that Jesus walked the earth, that Jesus, actually there, there is more historical evidence to the reality that Jesus raised from the dead on Easter. There's more historical evidence for the, for the reality of the resurrection from the dead of Jesus than there is historical evidence pointing to that Julius Caesar even existed. And so you, you need to deal with Jesus if you're going to say that God doesn't exist. Uh, the Old Testament also is like a pretty reliable book in terms of historical documents. Uh, it, is, it is corroborated really well by, by archaeology. Um, and, and so like the land, especially the promised land, and once we get into uh, post-Exodus, like the history of the Old Testament is, is corroborated by, by archaeology. Like really, really, really well, remarkably well for, for a book of its age. Um, and so it's, again, you have to deal, you can say that like there are pre-modern people that wrote just like believing that they heard from God because that's what pre-modern people did, but you have to deal with at least the history, history of it uh, to, to deny, I think, to deny the, the truth of it. Um, and then it, it points again to Jesus, Jesus being like the pinnacle of the story, the, the way that this whole thing is going, pointing to Jesus and Jesus trying to say like, I am God's, God's approval of this, this whole salvation history project that has been going on through the nation of Israel. Like you gotta, you gotta really deal with it if you want to deny the existence of God. And, and Jesus and the nation of Israel are, are what I call like the historical the historical reasons for believing uh, religiously, but then there's like all of the subjective religious reasons, subjective religious factors. 
And for the first subjective one, which is number two on the PowerPoint here, we were having this argument, uh, <laughs> our, is, is our own religious experience. Uh, we as human beings, we have experience of the spiritual. We have, we have, like our, my heart was moved during worship and, and maybe it's just like really good music makes my, my heart move, but I tend to think that it's because I was praising the God who created me. And, and when that happens, like my emotions don't just change like that when I listen to the Dave Matthews band. I love the Dave Matthews band. But like there's something unique about religious experience and connecting with God. Like I I experience God through meditating in on God's word. And and God like I experience God's presence in ways that go beyond what I can explain physically. And I don't ever hear an audible voice from God, but I know there are people who very clearly believe that they are, are hearing God's direction for their lives. There are, there are many people around us, many people in this room. I, I mean, I'm here again, like, I think God said I have to be a pastor. And so here I am, like, because I believe God called me to do this. And, and many of us have these experiences in our lives that, like, we've seen God heal and protect and provide when there is just no other explanation in our, in our minds other than that God is at work in this world. M many of us have, <laughs> yeah, many of us have prayed for things that like seem very impossible and we've prayed and prayed and prayed about them and then like out of nowhere those things come to pass and in maybe not even in the way that we prayed about it but like they come to pass and and we tend to believe that this is because there's a god listening when we pray and then next is is the amazing lives of saintly people um, the the lives of godly people who have gone before us in the faith. Like, I, I think of the lives of godly people in this room as, as like a lot of, there is a lot of evidence. There are a lot of stories in this room that are evidence for the existence of God. But then you think about the history of the church. You think about the, the 12 apostles of Jesus. Like Judas, he denied, denied Jesus and, and died. But then uh, the rest of them all went to their graves believing and preaching the truth about Jesus, and the majority of them were killed for preaching the good news about Jesus, and they never recanted. And then through history, you have like hundreds of people who have decided it's better to die and preach about Jesus than to not preach about Jesus. And through history, you have hundreds of men and women who have lived in intimacy with God that has changed them and changed the world around them. And, and the evidence of the people who, who seem to be filled with peace and, and hope and joy in their lives that are connected deeply with God, it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable, the evidence, like the scientific evidence that belief in God leads to a longer life. Like you are less likely to have heart uh, conditions, con congenitive heart conditions as a Christian or a, a person of faith. And, and so maybe, just maybe, it's that, it's that God created you to worship. 
And then, and then I would point to the, to the way Scripture just sort of rings true. It, it has the ring of truth about it. When you read your Bible, the teachings of Jesus, the wisdom of the Proverbs, the life experiences of the Psalms, they point to the truth of this book. They remind us that there is, there is a spirit guiding the authors behind it. And I believe that, that when we read Scripture with our hearts open, God speaks to us through, through this book. It's been around for, for a long time now. And all of this points to the reality that the Christian life is a satisfying life. It is a satisfying life. We find ourselves in a room here of people who have found satisfaction in their, their Christian experience, who have found hope and peace and joy that they don't think is found anywhere else other than, than in a life with Christ. Christianity declares that ultimate truth is loving relationship. Like the, the, the truest thing that we can find is loving relationship. It starts with God. Who, who is loving relationship within God himself, the, the Trinity. And then, it, and then Christianity is built on this belief that God loves us. God loves us enough to send Jesus for us and that there is nothing you can do to make God not love you. There's nothing you can do to, to get God to stop loving you. And, and so this is like a really satisfying way of living to believe that there is a God who created you, who loves you, that there is nothing you can do to get that God to stop loving you. The skeptic might say that's a really convenient thing for a pastor to say to a Christian group on a Sunday morning. It's a really convenient thing to say. It's really, you know, that's, those are the pat answers that Christians have. To that, I, I, have a, I had a philosophy professor in, in college that says, well, if, if a God created us, you would expect that that God would have wired us in a way to find our most complete existence in God. If, if that God exists, then it would, it would just make sense that, that life would come together when we find that God. That, that things in our world would make more sense in light of that God. That that God would would fulfill the greatest desires of the human heart. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote in, in the letter to the church in Rome about the, the very nature of our human longing for God. And I'm going to read a little bit longer passage here from Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, this is starting in verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as if in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. And we believe also, or we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. 
For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us uh, our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. This is one of the most intriguing passages in scripture to me. The, the way I've heard it interpreted is this, that creation is groaning. The creation was, was made, all of creation was made to respond to the voice of God. If you consider the Genesis 1 account of creation, you, you see this picture of God speaking, God telling the waters should divide and the waters divide. God, God saying the, uh, the earth should teem with life and, and earth looks around and it teems with life. It responds so clearly and so quickly to God's creation. That is the way God intended all of creation to be, to hear God's voice and to act immediately. I love how the beginning of John then shows us that that voice of God, the word of God that spoke creation into existence is none other than Jesus himself. Jesus is the one through whom all that exists, exists. In in Colossians 1, we read that it all holds together because Jesus is holding it together. But Romans 8 reminds us that creation is under a curse. We get to Genesis 3, we, we read the story of the fall and the curse that is placed over creation. The earth now, instead of responding to God's voice, as soon as it hears it, it grows thistles and weeds instead of good food to eat. And creation from that day has been longing to respond to God's voice in the same way. Paul says, all of creation. He says, believers, we, we groan because we've had a little bit of a taste, a foretaste of, of the glory that awaits us. But I believe that all of human creation groans with, with the dirt and rocks and water that would teem with life. If, if they could just respond to God's voice the way they want to. We, we humans, we groan. Believers and non-believers, I, I think we are, we are longing for what has been implanted in us to be more than just this life. And so Paul says, as, as all of creation is groaning, we are all longing to find our fulfillment to live the purpose that God has given us, has created us to fulfill. Our world is full of people searching for just exactly what will bring them the type of fulfillment and joy and peace they know they are missing. And so 1,600 years ago, St. Augustine wrote a famous quote. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. This morning, I know I'm talking mostly to people who believe in, in God. Uh, I'm talking mostly to people who, who know the truth of a restless heart finding its rest in God. But let me remind you, you restless, you resting hearts, <laughs> that you go from here into a world of people with restless hearts. You go into a world from here of people looking for hope 
and peace. And I want to remind you that many of those people who, who are walking around with restless hearts in this world, they want to know if this God really exists and they're questioning it. And they're asking themselves and they're, they're looking around for themselves trying to figure out, is, is there really a God that exists? Does that make any sense at all? And I'll, I'll be honest with you. You may be able to learn some philosophical arguments that would be really convincing to some people. You may be able to, to understand and put together like these proofs for God's existence from the natural world in ways that are just open and shut cases. You may be able to, to convince a handful of people wandering around this world with a restless heart that, that God exists because you, you know the philosophy and you know the science and you, and you know the created order. I, I think that's very possible. But I think it's maybe a bit more probable that the, the most convincing case that God exists comes from people who have found God and found that their hearts are at rest when they, when they give them over to God. When, when we demonstrate what it is to have a heart at rest, we make the most convincing argument there is for the existence of God. When you show love, when you act with patience, when you deal truthfully with others, you become better evidence of the existence of God than anything else that could be found in this world. It's the lives of Christian saints that make believing in God reasonable to me. And so today we're going to, we're going to continue in our lives of religious experience. <laughs> we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to guide you through a religious experience this morning, the meal of communion. We believe that in this meal, we find strength to let our hearts rest in God. So let me remind you that communion was instituted by Jesus. It is a sacrament which pro proclaims the life, death, resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. This is a means of grace. We believe that God is present in this meal in a unique and special way. It's, it's meant to be received by reverent and submissive hearts. So in our church, we, we just invite anybody who is truly repented of your sins and, and is seeking Jesus to participate and to, to enjoy the benefits of the resurrection of Jesus. We come to this table to be renewed and to be made strong. We come to this table to find rest. We come as one body. It's one table. It goes on a long ways from here. It's not just this little table. We, we all come to this one table. And, and we, we experience the one host who is Jesus inviting us in to be refreshed by this meal. And so we pray. Our holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who by your spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, 
Set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He ate with sinners. And he established the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. We live in hope of his coming again. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke the bread, gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, Lord, we gather as the body of Christ. We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving. And we ask, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and juice. May they be for us the body and blood of Jesus so that we would be for the world his body, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ shall come again in final victory. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have some folks who are going to come and take the elements and distribute them around the sanctuary. So if you're on the, if you're your servant, come forward. I invite you to receive a, a wafer and a cup and hold on to them. And once everybody has been served and has their, their wafer and cup, I'll give you words of instructions for receiving them.
invite you to take the elements in your hands, receive this bread, the reminder of the body of Christ is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him. In the cup, cup of the new covenant, made in his blood for you and for many, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. You stand. Allow me to pray for you one more time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this mystery that we have been allowed to participate in. You've invited us in and you've given us your grace this morning, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you for this body assembled, the, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding that is represented in this room. But Lord, beyond that, the faith, the, the men and women who have walked with you, though their faith has ebbed and flowed through times when it has been hard to hold on to faith. There are men and women here who have held on to faith through times when they have not known where they can turn, Lord. They've turned to you and they have found rest for their restless hearts. They found answers to the deepest questions in their, in their minds. They found the ability, Lord, to, to know that life comes together in you. And we thank you, God, You've given us your grace to go into a world of people with restless hearts and, and to live steady and true and faithful. And so, God, help us to do that. Help us as, as we go into this world. May, may we act like Jesus. May, may we proclaim hope to those who, who are hopeless. May we proclaim truth where, where darkness and lies persist. May we shine the light of Christ in this world that, that is longing for light. We thank you, Lord. Thank you that you will go with us now. And it, it is in the, the name of Jesus who goes with us, we pray. Amen. All right, you resting hearts, go into a world of restless hearts and live the life of those who have found their rest in God. You are dismissed. Thank you for joining us on the First NAS Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.